I'm a gun lover, a veteran, and a family man. I believe in the Second Amendment and responsible gun ownership. I'm Skip, and this is Gunsmoke. Hey y'all, we're back. I thought we'd continue on with doing some things about uh, uh, gun manufacturers, how they got there and what it took to get them where they're at and uh, where they come from. So I was going to start, I'll do this one on just Smith & Wesson. Next one we're going to do is on Sig Sauer. And on that one, don't expect me, my German, Swiss, French, or any of that to be too good because <laughs> it's going to be comical. Horace Smith and Daniel Wesson. They founded the Smith & Wesson Company in Norwich, Connecticut in 1852. That was to develop the volcanic rifle. Smith developed a new volcanic cartridge, which he patented in 1854. The Smith & Wesson Company was renamed Volcanic Repeating Arms in 1855 and was purchased by Oliver Winchester. Smith left the company and returned to his native Springfield, Massachusetts, while Wesson stayed on as plant manager with Volcanic Repeating Arms for another eight months. Volcanic Repeating Arms was insolvent in late 19, 1856, after which it was reorganized as the New Hagen Arms Company in April 1857 and eventually as the Winchester Repeating Arms Company of 1866. So, Samuel Colt's patent on the revolver was set to expire in 1856. Wesson began developing a prototype for a cartridge revolver. His, res his research pointed out uh, that a former Colt employee named Roland White held a patent for a bored-through cylinder, a component he would need for his invention. Wesson reconnected with Smith, and the two partners approached White to manufacture a newly designed revolver and cartridge combination. After Wesson left Volcanic Repeating Arms in 1856, he re rejoined with Smith uh, to form the Smith & Wesson Revolver Company, which would become the modern Smith & Wesson Company. Rather than make a white a partner in their company, Smith & Wesson paid him a royalty of 25 cents on every revolver they made. It would become White's responsibility to defend, to defend his patent in any court cases, which eventually led to his financial ruin. But after, uh, after it was very advantageous for Smith & Wesson, you see. The Smith & Wesson revolvers came into popular demand in the outbreak of the American Civil War, as soldiers from all ranks on both sides of the conflict made private purchases of the revolver for self-defense. Hmm. The orders for the Smith & Wesson Model 1 revolver outpaced the factory's production capabilities. In 1860, demand volume exceeded the production capacity, so Smith & Wesson expanded into a new facility and began experimenting with a new cartridge design more suitable than the 22 short that it had been using. At the time, the company's design was being infringed upon by other manufacturers which led to numerous lawsuits filed by Roland White. 
In many of these instances, part of the restitution came in form of the offender being forced to stamp manufactured for Smith & Wesson on the revolvers in question. White's vigorous defense of his patent caused a problem for arms makers in in the United States at that time as they could not manufacture cartridge revolvers. At the end of the war, the U.S. government charged White with causing a retardation of arms development in America. Demand for revolvers declined at the close of the Civil War, so Smith & Wesson focused on the development of arms suitable for use in the American frontier. In 1870, the company switched focus from the pocket-sized revolver to the large frame revolvers in heavier calibers, such as 44 Smith & Wesson American. This new design, known as the Smith & Wesson Model 3, was adopted by the U.S. Army as the first uh, cartridge-firing revolver in the U.S. service. In 1899, Smith & Wesson introduced its most widely used revolver, the 38 Military and Police also known as the Smith & Wesson Model 10. With over 6 million produced, it became the standard sidearm for American police officers for much of the 20th century. An additional 1 million of these guns were made uh, for the U.S. military during World War II. Now, the post-war periods of the 20th century were the times of great innovation for the company. In 1935, uh, Smith & Wesson released the Smith & Wesson Model 27, which was the first revolver chambered in, three, chambered rather, in 357 Magnum. It was designed as a more powerful handgun for law enforcement officers. The Model 27 started what they called the Magnum era of handguns. The high point was in 1955 when the company created the Smith & Wesson Model 29 in 44 Magnum. Two decades later, the Smith and uh, Dirty Harry movies made the... Uh, gun on a cultural icon. In 1965, the Wesson family sold its controlling interest in Smith & Wesson uh, to Bangor Punta. That's a large American conglomerate. Over the next day, decade, Bangor Punta diversified the company's civilian sales in, to include related handgun products such as holsters as well as offering additional police equipment such as handcuffs and breathalyzers. By the late 70s, these profitable moves made Smith & Wesson, quote, the envy of the industry. That's according to Business Week. Despite all these advantages, however, Smith & Wesson's market share uh, began to uh, decline in the 1980s as uh, the war on drugs intensified in the United States. Police departments all across the country replaced their Smith & Wesson revolvers with European semi-automatics, such as a Glock, Sig, Beretta, And from 1982 to 86, profits at the company declined by 41%. In June 1987, Tompkins PLC paid $112.5 million to purchase Smith & Wesson. Tompkins modernized the production equipment and instituted additional testing, which significantly increased the product quality. However, the new gun sales in the United States lagged in the 1990s and some of which attributed to the Federal Assault Weapons Ban in 1994. Also, there were numerous city and state lawsuits against Smith & Wesson. After the success of the Tobacco Master Settlement Agreement, the municipalities uh, thought that they might be able to succeed through tort law against the gun industry as well. 
On March 17, 2000, Smith & Wesson made an agreement with U.S. President Bill Clinton under which it would implement changes to the design and distribution of its firearms in return for preferred buying programs to offset the loss of revenue as a result of the anticipated boycott. The agreement stated all authorized dealers and distributors of Smith & Wesson products had to abide by a code of conduct to eliminate the sale of firearms to prohibited persons, and dealers had to agree not to allow children under 18 without adult presence access to the gun shop or sections of the store that contained firearms. After an organized campaign by the NRA and the NSSF over the issues of smart guns, thousands of retailers and tens of thousands of firearms consumers boycotted Smith & Wesson. CEO Ed Schultz, who negotiated the deal, was forced out in September of that year. By December of uh, 2000, the company's stock price was down to 19 cents per share. Smith & Wesson dropped its smart gun plans after nearly being driven out of business. On May 11, 2001, Safety Hammer Corporation acquired the Smith & Wesson Corporation from Tompkins PLC for just $15 million. That's a fraction of the $112 million that was paid by Tompkins. Safety Hammer assumed the $30 million in debt, bringing the total purchase to $40 million. Safety Hammer was a uh, manufacturer of firearm locks and other safety products. Purchased, uh, they purchased a company with the intention of incorporating its line of security products into all Smith & Wesson firearms in compliance with the 2000 agreement. The acquisition of uh, Smith & Wesson was chiefly brokered by Safety Hammer President Bob Scott, who had left Smith & Wesson in 1999 because of a disagreement with the Tompkins policies. After the purchase, Scott became president of Smith & Wesson to guide the 157-year-old company back to its former standing in the market. On February 15, 2002, the newly, newly formed entity was changed to Smith & Wesson Holding Company. In 2006, Smith & Wesson refocused its marketing on uh, big-box retailers, according to Smith & Wesson CEO Mike Golden in a 2008 conference call with investors. On uh, November 7, uh, 2016, Smith & Wesson Holding Corporation changed its name again to American Outdoor Brands Corporation. In 2017, Smith & Wesson saw a severe contraction in sales as uh, units shipped to distributors and retailers declined 38.3%. The company was forced to lay off one-fourth of its manufacturing workforce. The company has come under increased scrutiny due to its use of firearms in mass shootings, such as the 2018 Stoneman Douglas High School uh, school shooting, which a 19-year-old uh, Nicholas Jacob Cruz used uh, Smith & Wesson AR-style rifle, a semi-automatic M&P-15. Same weapon was used in San Bernardino attack and the 2012 Aurora Colorado shooting. This also affected their sales and everything. I've always preached a gun is a tool. It doesn't kill people. People kill people. The gun won't do nothing in, some, in case somebody operates it. That's just my views. And... Uh, that's the way I look at it. So, hey, if you got any ideas, give me a shout. Send me an email at uh, gunsmoke at yahoo.com. That's G-U-N-S-M, smoke, at yahoo.com, all lowercase. I'll be looking forward to seeing you. Until next time, y'all take care. <laughs>